Blog Talk Radio. Hello listeners, welcome to another broadcast of The Unexplained World, where the line between the natural and the supernatural may become nothing more than fuzzy. I'm Edward Shanahan, your host, a spiritual observer, and psychic reader. Also joining me tonight and every broadcast are our co-hosts, who are part of the inner circle of The Unexplained World and Spirit Weavers. So stay tuned, feel free to call in, and enjoy. Thank you. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Unexplained World, broadcast for January 21st with Annette, who is the co-creator of the Unexplained World with me. Hello, Annette. You there? I'm here, Ed. How are you tonight? I'm doing fine. Okay, we also have Deanne, who has partnered with me in doing psychic readings and paranormal activities. Annette, I mean, Deanne, are you there? Yes, I am. Good evening. Hello. How are you doing? And also, John, who, with Brian, does some of the searches for paranormal locations. Hello, John, are you there? Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing? Fine, John, and yourself? Excellent. Go Bears. How about that? Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was spiritual in its own right. Yeah. Pinch me, I'm dreaming. Okay. Um, my name is Ed Shanahan, a spiritual observer and feeler, doing paranormal locations by request, along with Deanne, uh, also doing psychic readings and house parties. And tonight, listeners, we have a special guest. Her name is Ursula, and I hope I say this right, Belitsky. Okay, she is the author of Chicago Haunts, Haunts Publications. Ursula, are you there? I'm here. Ed. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Did you get the little one put to bed? <laughs> I got one of them put to bed. Okay. okay. <laughs> and threatened the other one not to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I think our two ladies can um, um, kind of... Um, we can relate. Very yeah. much. Very much. I woke my baby up just to put him back to sleep so he wouldn't fuss during the show. <laughs> okay. Ursula is author of Chicago. Did I, did I pronounce your name last name right? No, you didn't. Uh, it's the Irish in me, okay? Tell uh, Ursula for all time. What is, how do you pronounce it's your last name? Bielski. Bielski. But you know what? You did a great job. Okay. <laughs> you, yeah, people are much more creative than you okay. were. All right. She is the author of Chicago Haunts, the first and much imitated book ever published on the Chicago Ghost Lore, as well as more Chicago Haunts, Chicago Haunts 3, Graveyards of Chicago, and Creepy Chicago. Uh, how did you get started in all this? Oh, my goodness. Well, I, I guess I got started with my interest in all of this um, growing up in a house we believed was haunted. We grew up in a house on the north side of Chicago, not too far from Wrigley Field, um, that was known as the haunted house in the neighborhood when my mom was growing up in the neighborhood. And when she married in 1966, 
Um, she had her eye on this house because nobody wanted it, and she thought it was really cool. And, you know, with some work, it would be a great house, which it turned out to be. But nonetheless, it turned out to be haunted, just like all the rumors said in the neighborhood. And we would hear every single night from my earliest memories, um, we would hear footsteps on the stairs about 2 o'clock in the morning every single mm. night. And, uh, you know, coming from the foyer to the second floor where the bedrooms were, and this went on, again, every single night till I was about 12 or 13 years old. And then it just kind of dissipated, and we didn't have any other experiences in the house until my dad passed away when I was uh, about 19, I think. And mm-hmm. um, so that was something that was always there. And also when I was a kid, I think along with that, um, my my mom was a public school teacher, and she just had, I mean, she had friends all over the city from all different kind of cultural backgrounds, and um, so they all had stories about these sorts of things from, you know, whatever backgrounds they were from. So I was fascinated by that from a very early age. And also my dad um, <laughs> was... Uh, I was going to bring that up. I was going to yeah, bring that up. Yeah, my dad, um, I, when I didn't like to go to school at all. And my mom, you know, like I said, she was a teacher. She stayed home with me until I, was, until I started preschool. And then my dad was a cop, so he had retired early, and he was supposed to take me to school in the morning and take me out after school. But he didn't make me go to school, and I didn't want to go. So he would take me, like, around the city with him. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, of course, to a lot of bars around the city where he had lived. He lived in a lot of different neighborhoods all over the city, and he was older. So, you know, I heard a lot of stories from his family and friends, you know, about, you know, paranormal, paranormal things that they had experienced. And also learned a lot about all different parts of the city growing up. And one of the things that he would do was to take me to a lot of the cemeteries, you know, and teach me about the history of the city at Graceland Cemetery and Rose Hill and, you know, Resurrection. And so I got a pretty good education, you know, from my dad. Not, you know, not only, he, you know, he would teach me a lot of stuff, but also just an education in, in Chicago and different cultures and you know, an early introduction to the fact that a lot of people have these kinds of experiences. So that was how I started out. I didn't start getting involved in, you know, kind of investigating ghosts and hauntings and things until I was in college out at uh, Benedictine University in Lyle. And I was Mm -hmm. a history major at the time, but I had a friend that was a psychology major, and he was studying parapsychology, which I had you know, never heard of. I mean, I thought parapsychology was like, you know, psychics and UFOs, and I didn't yeah. know it was what is it? What a, is a it? science. It is a science that's <clears throat> practiced, you know, and, and pursued all over the world um, in most, you know, civilized countries around the world. You can get a doctoral degree in parapsychology from a, an accredited university and a, a distinguished university. Um, as was the case here in the United States where parapsychology began back in the 1930s. It started at Duke University. It was kind of a, the development of psychical research, you know, which was very okay. popular um, during the late 19th century with, you know, very distinguished scientists and thinkers like William James, for example. And, you know, there, this had grown out of the spiritualist movement which, you know, started officially kind of back in the 1840s um, with seances and table tipping and all that sort of thing. But And these were scientists and, and great thinkers that were trying to take this the pursuit of, 
you know, communicating with the dead out of the parlor, you know, and into mm-hmm. the laboratory. And uh, J.B. Ryan, who really began uh, parapsychology as a science, his intention, you know, unfortunately for us, was to separate, you know, the proper study of parapsychology from, from, the, from the phenomena that he felt couldn't be studied in the laboratory. So he got rid of the study of ghosts and hauntings and things like that okay. and tried to study the, just the things that he felt we could you know, study in the laboratory our abilities, you know, ESP, clairvoyance, and, and telekinesis, and things like that, so our human abilities. He believed that we weren't able to get it, we would never be able to get a handle on things like hauntings and ghosts and other spontaneous phenomena, as he called them. So, you know, what parapsychology really did was to try to, you know, to ignore the study of those things. And so, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, in this country, which is so positivistic and scientific um, by the 1970s and the 1980, you know, early 1980s, there were no more programs in parapsychology in the United States. Oh, really? Um, I found out later on, though, where I went to graduate school, Northeastern Illinois University mm-hmm. in Chicago, they had one of the last programs in parapsychology in the country. So it was cool because when I went to school there, graduate school for history, I got yeah. to study, uh, they had all, still had all the journals in the library and stuff, the parapsychology yeah. journals, so I got to use all those for when I wrote my papers about the history of spiritualism and parapsychology and all that stuff, so that was kind of cool. <clears throat> what but, would you say would be the history of spiritualism? Um, I mean, it started out, you said, in like the 1940s. In eight, like 1840. 1840. Yeah, kind of officially, you know, even b- but before them, I mean, hundreds of years before them, there were the, the origins of it with guys like Swedenborg who, you know, kind of, um, you know, believed in this sort of higher communication with the dead and with these mm-hmm. spiritual planes. And then uh, Mesmer, who was kind of the, the founder of hypnotism, like he, you know, started hypnotism you know, and he would go into trances and, and, and bring messages from the spirits and things like that. But it was that the whole thing in 1848 in, in Hydesville, New York, in upstate New York, mm-hmm. um, the, with the Fox sisters, you know, probably a lot of the right. listeners are familiar with the fact that, you know, the Fox sisters lived in a cabin, little cabin, um, in this area that had had all of these kind of alternative religious movements you know, going on in alternative lifestyles and all sorts of religious communities. Um, so it was a place that was kind of a, a hotbed of all this new thought and experimental thought. So it was kind of like any, an anything-goes kind of place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when they found out their, their team, their house was haunted, these young girls tried to communicate with this with whoever the ghost was in the house. And they did that by rapping you know, and mm-hmm. and trying to get them to wrap to back. And so that's how that all started. Um, and the movement just caught on like wildfire. In fact, it was it was thought, you know, by the, by the time of like the Civil War, um, you know, some of the greatest thinkers here and also abroad believe that, that spiritualism was going to outshine Christianity even as the religion of our whole culture and society because it was, it was really a religious movement. 
And it, it, I mean, as you know, in like 1860, there were like a million spiritualists in the United States. I mean, that was their religion. It's crazy. You know, we have no idea now that that was the case. But of course, during, you know, times like the Civil War, and then later on again, during the First World War, it was so popular because people were trying to get in touch with um, their, their dead husbands and sons and, you know, and brothers and, and that sort of thing. And so during those times, you know, when there's great loss of life, and, and it has gone on that way, that it's, you know, gained again in popularity. It started getting so popular, though, in the late 19th century because of all the developments in science. And when it started out, it was not so much a spiritual movement, but it was like a scientific movement. And the people that, you know, were that liked it, that followed it, I mean, they were looking for proof of, you know, life after death. You know, mm-hmm. they were very concerned with proof and the scientific method and evidence. And, you know, so they were looking at it scientifically and they were bringing up, you know, and they were saying that they had evidence, you know, through these seances that there was life after death. So it was not like a metaphysical movement at all or a spiritual movement at all. It was a very scientific movement. Hmm. Houdini played a part in that too, didn't it? Just- um, I mean, there was actually battles going on between him and the believers in this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like you know, one of his, I mean, one of his friends, and also like big opponents in this was Arthur Conan Doyle, who was a big spiritualist, a great believer in spiritualism. And Houdini was, you know, probably the closest thing you have to him today is James Randi. You know, right, just right, kind of right. Just doing everything he could possibly do to disprove what was going on, and you know. His what he says is kind of what you know uh, what the followers of Randy say today. They think that you know if I can reproduce this, you know these effects with magic or you know with illusions, mm-hmm. um, then that means it, it doesn't really happen. It never happens. You know what I mean? And yeah, so right. that's what Houdini was saying. You know, he was saying like, well, here I can make this chair fly across the room, and I can make myself levitate. You know, and I, it's it's all my illusions. So mm-hmm. therefore, you're fraudulent, you know. Yeah. And um, which is a lot of what all those people from Psychop say today, and it's, you know, it's just, it's that. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you're the same way. Just like, you know, just because I can reproduce it doesn't mean it never happens. Right. Right. Um. So yeah. So he was a big opponent of, um you know, of of spiritualism and of, you know, what, what, and what he believed that, you know, people were being, it didn't mean anything negative by it. He just felt people were being duped, you know, and he didn't want people to be, you know, let on or to be fooled or to, you know, be foolish. Mm-hmm. And so he was trying to, you know, uphold the truth and, and all that sort of thing. But he always said, you know, that you know, he was going to try to come back if he could. Yeah. And so yeah. ever since his death, people have been holding these seances on Halloween. He died on Halloween. Yeah. And uh, some people say that they've contacted him. And um, But I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what um, you came up with, I was reading your webpage. You want to give the web, your website? Schedule? Oh, yeah, it's ChicagoHauntings.com. Okay, it's a very good site, and I was reading about um, the the terminology you came up with, ghost lore. Is oh, am yeah. I right on? Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a uh, it's a title that you pretty much um, have penned, or you know, 
take honors in creating. What does uh, what do you mean by ghost lore? You know, it's very interesting. I just like wrote a blog entry about that not too long ago, and it was funny because when we were trying to title the book, we couldn't quite figure out what to what to subtitle the book. You know, mm-hmm. we just we didn't want to say you say folklore. It yeah. kind of, you know, it makes, it, it has a connotation that you don't believe it, you know, and we didn't want to say history because it's not quite that either. Um, we didn't want to say ghost stories because that sounds made up, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult, and I think it came to the publisher, like, you know, we we put ghostly lore was the, was the first edition. If anybody has, like, one of those antique first editions of the book, <laughs> the subtitle was Ghostly Lore of the Windy City, and it was only with the second edition that we're like, oh, my gosh, ghost lore. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what it is, you know. So um, it's very it's very difficult because it's it's hard to do. Um, and I and I wrote about this in our, our blog on the website. It's hard to do because in order to get, you have to try to. You want to try to get the right feeling when you're writing it that it's that's elusive and it's also, but it's also historical and it's also stuff that really happened, but you're not really quite sure how it happened. So you almost have to. It's very difficult to get just that balance of where you. Say, you know, where you tell when it happened and where it happened, but not exactly when and not exactly where and not exactly to who, but you, and you also have, like, firsthand accounts. So it's this very weird mix and very strange, difficult balance of facts and, and elusive things so that you always have that feeling. It's hard to get that feeling to it. Um, so that it comes across, so that the way we experience these things comes across in the writing, that they are fleeting and elusive, but they're also real, you know, and historical. So it's it's tricky to get it right, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that's what the ghost lore is all about. That it's um, you know, that it is real, but what is it? You know, <clears throat> that we do right. experience these things, but what are they? Very good, uh, very good name to it. Annette, do you have a I do have questions? a quick question for Ursula. Um, in your experiences, obviously you have been in many locations and so forth. Aside from what you might term ghost um, occurrences, are there other kinds of spirits that you find or that you accredit hauntings to, like, oh, I don't know, angels, fairies, elementals? Yeah, you know, I've come across and... I've come across a lot of cases where there seem to be um, other entities that are not, you know, people that have lived and have died. Okay. And I know there are a lot of people, and I've, I've met a lot of people during the time I've been doing this, that seem to be very schooled in exactly what these beings are, which is fascinating to me. Um, it's very interesting to me, though, the, me too. That these that the the names that that people have for all these different kind of entities are so old. I mean, thousands of years old, like fairies or um, or like you said, angels, demons, you know, things like that. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's been some really cool cases actually where people have you know where I've come into them and people have said you know I've been told by many people that there are fairies you know on my property. Um, there was one case like that that I that I got a chance to look at in Indiana. The Indiana Ghost Trackers, great group, um, took me out there to uh, this woman Luann's farm, 
and she was she had been told by several clairvoyants independently visiting her farm not knowing anything about you know what was going on told her that there were fairies on her land and she had a, a barn on the property where anybody that came there would take these amazing photographs of that with you know, thousands of orbs in the photographs. And it wasn't like you'd walk into the barn and there'd be thousands of orbs in your photograph because, you know, you you were walking in all this hay and stuff like that. It would be like you'd walk in the barn, and, and, and I was there that night, and there were 10 other people there with cameras. We walked in the barn, started taking pictures in the barn, nothing. And then Luann came in and started to talk to the fairies in the barn and tell them that not to be afraid not to worry that we were friends, that they were just interested in learning about them and we weren't going to do them any harm. And the more she talked and the longer we were there standing still, these orbs start to show up in our pictures. And the, the more she talked and kind of soothed them, the more orbs would come. So it was like just the opposite of what scientifically you would think would happen. Like I said, like if you walk into like a barn filled with hay and there would be thousands of orbs in the picture when you walked in, you know, and then when you were quiet, they would die away. It was just the opposite. It was so crazy. And they would, the thing that she would do would be to tell people, put your hands out to your sides, like like with your palms up. Yeah. And she would ask the fairies to come and, and sit on your hands. And, the, and you would take these pictures with <laughs> these orbs sitting in your hands. It was the craziest thing. Oh, and she it. said that... Um, this one clairvoyant had told her that she was very lucky to have fairies on her property because it's very rare in North America, mm. and that in order to keep them on her property, which is really good luck for her, that she had to take care of them. And she said, well, what should I do? And they, she said, well, you have to feed them. Yeah. And she said, well, what should I feed them? And they said, well, you have to find out what they like. So she started experimenting, leaving these little, like, like, like Petri dishes of stuff, like, out in the barn. <laughs> Cakes and honey and milk, right? Yeah, and she found out. And so I was like, well, what did you find out that, like, what yeah. do you think of? What did you find out they like? And she said, um, Jameson's, whiskey, <laughs> fudge brownies, and frappuccino. <laughs> so, like, every night she goes and puts these little dishes of Jameson's whiskey, <laughs> fudge brownies, and frappuccino. Like, out of the cave. we are now, yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, the craziest thing, but she has... I mean, thousands of photographs that have been taken over the years by hundreds of people that have visited. And, you know, with literally the orbs coming down into these Petri dishes, <laughs> the food is. It's crazy, you know, but it's like, well, what do you say about that? You know? So that, yeah, was, that, one, that was like probably the most, you know, amazing instance to me. Um, where where you say like some you know someone that's not necessarily a ghost you know or haunted yeah. but a, a, some other kind of entity. Now, what would you say, in your opinion, is an orb? Aside from the fact you just explained that we thought maybe those were you know fairy entities or something. When you see orbs in photographs yourself, because I know way back when I used my oh you know 35 millimeter, never saw a single orb. Right. Now I use digital photography, and I find orbs all the time. Right. Everywhere. Right. Um, and I'm a believer that we're surrounded by spirits constantly. But in your opinion, what would you say that orbs tell us? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, well, you know, like so, so many other investigators, I think, you know, probably 95% of photographs that have what, what you know, 
very much like orbs in them, are, you know, are not orbs, you know, as, as far as not being spirit energy, that they're dust or, or moist or whatever. Um, but I, I do believe that some of these photos do have genuine orbs in them that are, you know, spirit energy. And I think just like you said, um, they tell us that they're, that these, these other energies are, are ever the energy is with us everywhere that we're not aware of. And I don't know what it is. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if there are people that are left behind. I don't know if it's just energy that we leave behind. You know, I don't know what it is, but I do very firmly believe that um, orbs are evidence of that. Okay. Speaking of energy, let me remind our listeners um, we've been, I, I talked to you about this, Ursula. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been getting a lot of replies, a lot of uh, either emails, instant messages. You can instant message me at uh, Edward underscore Shanahan on the Yahoo Messenger. Or go if you want to email me or post in our Yahoo group, just go to theunexplainedworld.com and you can find all the links you uh, need there. But the thing that we've been getting, um, people have been experiencing, is why our radio show is on, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice, a lot of activity, uh, paranormal activity, has been going on at their locations. Uh, John, you're one of them. Um, you, could, uh, yeah, you could attest to that. Deanne, um, Annette has had that stuff going on also. Um, so I just want to remind the listeners, turn up your speakers a little and turn down the lights. Uh, for people that, you know, skeptics who say, why do you turn down the lights? I think you agree, Ursula, it brings out the senses of mm-hmm. individuals um, as you're in a darker location. Um, other senses kick in. So that's the reason why I recommend it. Uh, Ursula, how many books and how many more you got coming out? I have got, I'm working on two books right now. One of them um, is the third volume of Chicago Hans, and that's hopefully going to be out in the fall of this year, but okay. I'm thinking maybe a little later. We'll see. Um, so that's going to be a third volume of, of Chicago Hans. Um, before that, though, uh, my Hello. Lake, hi, I'm here. Uh, okay. Lake Claremont Press is doing its first audio book, which is going to be the best ones, and that's going to be a third of the first book, a third of the second book, and a third of the third book, which will be out after the audio book comes out. So the audio book will have a third of, um, of the uh, third volume before it actually is printed. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. So I'm finishing that up now, and that is going to be recorded um, in the next couple months, and that should be out in the summer of this year. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Any name for it yet? Um, it will. I know the title is like the main title is the best of Chicago Hans, and I don't know what the subtitle is yet. Okay. Are you going to so, be? It'll uh, be on the website, and and LakeClaremont.com is our publisher. So is it? Check are it. you doing a voice? Are you doing? A, you know, a I'm voice? going to be doing. There are going to be two readers, uh, a male and a female, and then I am going to be doing introductions to the story. So I'll be reading an introduction to each one of the stories. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. Neat. Yeah. And I know you've been working on it. Why I've been pestering Yes, you. and you've been helping but, me <laughs> yeah. a lot. <laughs> oh, that don't sound nice. Okay. Surprise, uh, surprise. <laughs> um, your tours. Yes. Want to talk about those? Oh, uh, yeah. You run one of the you run one of the top and uh, most enjoyable tours in the Chicagoland area. Thanks. So, 
you want to talk a little bit about those? Yeah, we started our tours back in, um, oh gosh, this is our fifth year that we're operating. We operate year-round. And, um, you know, we started doing um, um, just kind of to give people an alternative, um, to, you know, to the tours that have been running for many years. Um, and to, to give people a, like a smaller, more intimate tour to go on. The, the other tours have been running for many years, you know, which I enjoyed when I went on them years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, people said it had gotten kind of too big and, and, you know, impersonal. And we wanted to... Um, you know, and that's fine. I mean, people have fun on them too, and the big groups and everything. But we wanted to give people more of a feel for the for the locations and for the, the for the feeling of like doing investigations at the places and um, that kind of that that quietness and that intimacy of visiting these these locations. Um, and and we wanted to talk a lot more about the history of of the stories that were going on and really go into detail about that and about the people involved. And the main thing we wanted to do was to commemorate the um, the tragedies that had happened in Chicago over over so many years that have that have that aren't commemorated with memorials or with plaques or statues like a lot of other cities have. Chicago has you know a long history of not remembering the the tragedies that have happened. You know, feeling that it's bad for business or bad for our reputation. Um, to, to remember these things. And so I think that's one of the reasons why um, there's so much activity, uh, you know, especially in, in the central parts of Chicago, because we don't have, you know, we don't actively remember the things that have happened. And I'm talking about things like the Iroquois Theater fire, the Eastland disaster, um, the St. Valentine's Day massacre, you know, the Great Chicago Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, these uh, these souls that that, you know, fell to these tragedies, I think they're trying to um, somehow help us keep talking about them and keep remembering what happened to them so we don't repeat those things, um, you know, make those same mistakes that befell them. So that's what we wanted to do. That was the main thing we wanted to do was to try and give people an opportunity to remember um, these tragedies that have occurred in Chicago and to, to commemorate the people that have died at these places. Um, so to carry that history on, which is what I've, what I've tried to do in my books, too, which we really enjoy. So the tour, yeah, has been really successful on our ghost bus, which we love. Yeah. What is a ghost bus? Our ghost bus is our converted Ford school bus. <laughs> and it's black, and it's got cool, funky purple lights inside, and it's air-conditioned <laughs> and everything. It's, it's fabulous. Cool. And uh, so it's cool. So we take people all over the city, and we do special tours all the time too. Like we, like I said, we run year round. This is our off season, so we just run on the weekends. But in the you summer, got winter going on now. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. We we still run Fridays and Saturdays at seven mm-hmm. and ten. And in the for starting about in April to December, we just we run about every night of the year. Wow. And because um, we're part of part of the tourist tourism industry in Chicago, so it's kind of cool. Um, so, um, yeah, and then we also offer a bunch of different tours also, like we're doing, um, some, some gangster tours in the next couple of weeks. We're doing the Shots of 29 pub crawl commemorating the St. Valentine's Day massacre and, okay. uh, doing an all-day crime tour. And then we're doing, uh, Irish ghost tours for St. Patrick's Day and that sort of thing. So we always, always have new things going on. We do Resurrection Mary tours and Archer Avenue tours. Um, so we always try to keep keep doing new things. So you're recognized by the Chicago or Illinois Tour 
Tourist Bureau, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've been a member of the Chicago Tourism Board and all that stuff since we started. Congratulations. Thanks. That's, a, that's an honor in itself. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got people running around, running tours, but yet you're actually, oh, yeah. Yeah. You're actually looked upon as being a legit enjoy oh, this tour type absolutely of. and you know one of the great thing greatest things we do we do every year and it's such an honor is uh, the city of chicago sponsors its spaces and places event in the spring every year mm-hmm. and they offer i think it's you know like something like 300 tours by different people of uh, you know architect places of architectural significance and other right. uh, places around chicago and they're all free tours and they're sponsored by the mayor's office and we've been doing those um, for the last few years, and they're always really popular. So, you know, if people um, want to come on our tours and can't quite, you know, make ends meet, they should look out for that because they usually release the information about those and the schedule for those um, late in the winter, and people can sign up for those, and they're completely free. Well, that's, that's, that's i got to say, that's an honor to, you know, um, to have that. i got to, you know, i got to congratulate Thanks. you on that. Thank you. I really do. Uh, what, um... I, there's different locations. What about Chinatown? I've seen that. In, yeah, Chinatown's what, a weird place. Yeah, um, well, you know, I guess we always start in Chinatown when we do our Artur Avenue tours because that's where it originates in Artur mm-hmm. Avenue, which is fitting. Um, it's kind of the, you know, the the northernmost haunted, you know, it seems like the northernmost end of Artur Avenue is really haunted and the southernmost end is really haunted too. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because Chinatown, and of course was, was the old levy district back in the late 19th century, the vice district in Chicago, and um, it became Chinatown, you know, it's after the turn of the uh, of the 19th century. The first Chinese settlements in Chicago were downtown, like Lake Street area. And then I think someone was, uh, a Chinese immigrant was deeded some property in the Chinatown area and moved there, and people followed um, down that way, and that's how Chinatown became be, became settled um, down where it is today. But that was the, the vice district originally. So, of course, there were a lot of, taverns and saloons, you know, deadly places, um, mm-hmm. brothels and things like that back in, in the late 19th century and turn of the, the 20th century. And um, so I think there's a lot of history from that. But also there is allegedly, you know, a huge Indian burial ground um, covering a lot of the neighborhood um, originally before the settlement of Chicago. And um, I believe, and I haven't met her, but I believe that there is a um, – uh, historian in Chinatown who has documented this, and I keep trying huh. to, to find her because I just kind of heard it through the grapevine. I've been trying to find her, so if anybody you know has information, let on me that, ask I you a question: Is is, mm-hmm. is there a historic historic historical site there in Chinatown? Where because I'm I don't I'm in that area all the time, mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering if there's a place to stop in to meet this person or. Yeah, see, I don't I don't know who she is. There's a community center. Um, there is a community, uh, Chinese community center, mm-hmm. which I mm-hmm. haven't gone to yet. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm going to be working on for the third book, um, is trying okay. to figure out what's going on with that neighborhood. But um, there is one street, and I want to say it's, I don't want to get the street wrong. We haven't been down there in a while. Um, but one of the numbered streets down in Chinatown, right right by the, the gate, um, I went with there. Um, where it's it's said that every house on the block has has poltergeist activity going on in it. It's every single place on the street, including um, a couple of the restaurants on the block, and it's the same street that the Chinese Community Center on, is on. Um, huh. 
as well. So that's kind of a, a, an interesting fact about that neighborhood um, is that there's just there seems to be these pockets of poltergeist activity and hauntings, and um, then this kind of vague history about you know the the Native American background. Um, so it's kind of a cool place. And then of course, like I said, it's the beginning of Archer Avenue. You know, the yeah. most haunted. Uh, stretch in Chicago, so it's uh, definitely a very, very active area. Taking notes, John? Oh yeah. (laughs) 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 John's a big guy. I could see him walking into Chinatown. (laughs) (laughs) Big burly guy. Hey, where's you know? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, There's also um, something about. Where was it? Oh, 22nd Place. That's what it was. Okay. Um, 22nd Place? 22nd Street is like the totally haunted street. Cool. Yeah. Cool, cool. I'm there. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I threw you off. Sorry. I, I would just like to sit back and watch that, John. Um, there's also, uh, what What was the location? 63rd? Was it 63rd? Um, the... Uh, the World's Fair. Oh that yeah. Was, yeah. What was about? What's about that? Well, yeah, that's a weird thing. There's so many bizarre stories associated with um, the, the World's Fair. It's um, well, I mean, both of them actually. Um, the, let me just uh, this this fast forward to the World's Fair of 1933, the Century of Progress exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like the year that a lot of the reports of Resurrection Mary started. But there were also reports that started out um, in Forest Park of the the Forest Park flapper on uh, Displains Avenue, which was like a similar story to Resurrection Mary. Those reports started in 1933. But also people traveling to the World's Fair in 1933 from out of Chicago. People coming into Chicago were, were reporting picking up this young woman, you know, on the side of the road on the way to the fair, and they would offer a ride to the fair, and she would, as soon as she got in the car, she would start, like, predicting the dates of the deaths of, deaths of the people in the car and predict, predicting the end of the world and things like this. And they were, you know, just about to ask her to leave when she would disappear from the car. So huh. it was very weird because that year, 1933, um, you know, for some reason, there were all these. This, there was this rash of these beginnings of all these sightings of vanishing hitchhikers in Chicago. So it's just I don't know. It's really weird. But the World's Fair of 1893, um, you know, where the Great White City was, you know, created by Daniel right. Burnham and all that. This got so many weird stories about it. Well, it um, you know it took took place down, of course, like near you know the Museum of Science and Industry and all that stuff. And the Museum of Science and Industry is so weird. Have you, have you like investigated anything there or heard stories about this place? But uh, no, I never. Well, no. the most famous story about it is um, is that Clarence Darrow haunts the back steps because he used to he lived in um, Hyde Park and he used to hang out in Jackson Park and and he loved to sit by the Jackson Park Lagoon when he was having a trouble with one of his cases and he said it helped him to work out the cases to just sit there and he said it was his favorite place in the world was Jackson Park by the lagoon so -hmm. when he died he was cremated and his ashes were scattered over the lagoon so the bridge over the lagoon behind the museum was renamed for him so it's the Clarence Darrow Memorial Bridge and people over the years since his death um, like hundreds of people standing on the bridge have seen him 
standing on the back steps of the Museum of Science and Industry. Hmm. Yeah, and and people have like I mean groups of people have seen him and like Richard Crowe's tour groups have seen you know like seventy people have seen him yeah. like all one time, and they've I know even I've heard stories about his tour groups that have seen him where um, you know a couple guys would like go to try and chase him down, chase this guy down, but they would get within you know like ten feet of him and say it was, it was like they were like coming up against like a brick wall, like they couldn't go any closer. Wow. So it's like very weird stories. So that's the most famous story, but inside the museum is so bizarre. And there, there have always been stories that the U-505 submarine is haunted because right. um, one of the commanders killed himself like a year before its capture. And um, people say that they hear footsteps in there, they hear voices. Um, you know, people, some of the security guards there told me that they sometimes see the apparition of like shoes in the doorway of the cab, the, the commander's cabin, just shoes, like the ghost of shoes. Yeah. So it's very weird. Um, so the U-505 is supposed to be haunted. And then um, the, that exhibit inside, like the old-fashioned street, the um, yesterday's Main Street with the cobblestones, and it has all the storefronts so you can, like, walk through, okay. like, turn-of-the-century yeah. Chicago. Some of the workers at the museum think that that street scene is haunted by H.H. Holmes, you know the the you know the the murderer who you know, okay. the first serial killer who lived mm-hmm. down on uh, 63rd Street in his murder mm-hmm. castle, and he of course spent time in the museum during the World's Fair. He would like prey on victims at the World's Fair, and so it's very likely that he you know spent time in that actual building. So it wouldn't be you know, and of course he very likely might be drawn to that exhibit because it looks like the world looked, looked when he was alive, you know. So that's another ask, ghost there as well. I was going to ask you about that. The six, uh, it's in your More Chicago Haunts book, um, The 63rd Street Haunts. So yeah. he's tied into that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. His, he had built this, you know, huge, you know, they call it the murder castle down on 63rd mm-hmm. Street, and it had, you know, literally, like, dozens of rooms and, like, torture chambers and, um, We're about on 63rd. It was 63rd, and it's in Englewood, like right, um, I want to say right near Halstead. Yeah, my like Halstead the neighborhood. 63rd. Uh, yeah. okay. There's a post office on the site now. There is. And there are, you know, I've never seen this documented, but again, through the grapevine, there are rumors that there's, you know, it's been strange things going on in the post office forever. But I've never actually found any evidence of that or that, that documented anywhere. Okay. All right. Um, Ian, do you have anything? Yeah, yeah, actually I do. Um, Go ahead. It's interesting because, as you know, I was, I, um, I'm from the north side and brought up in the same area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> same experiences, grew up in a haunted home. Uh, my question, well, what I was thinking about as you were sharing, too, is that being exposed to so much of this at an early age, for myself, I became numb. More, well, I'm going to say more numb to the fear mm-hmm. of this. I was two things I was going to ask you about. Do you experience the same? That just the numbness to being frightened, or not at all. In fact, I'm just it's comical because I'm known like among my colleagues as a total scaredy cat. <laughs> I always have to be with somebody. I can't be anywhere by myself. And, you know, I think a lot of that comes from 
my religious background because I was raised Catholic. Okay. And we talked a little bit early about, you know, non-ghost entities. <laughs> you know, one of those things, of course, is demons, um, which is, you know, something that I'm not quite sure about. <laughs> so I think there's that fear, that, that fear has always been there and always will be there, or, if I, or that I have this strong religious background. A lot of people that I work with don't. You know, I would say most of the people that that I have worked with are either, you know, if, if not atheist, agnostic, or, you know, and I think if they're, if they're religious at all, they're pagans, and they have different ideas about things that I do, and I think they have more, um, I've found that even the pagan people that I've worked with have more um, belief in their own ability to control things or to be protected from things. Um, and I think from my background, that's, you know, not necessarily something that we believe. We believe that, um, you know, things like demons can have a lot of power over us, you know. So um, so it's kind of, you know, I, I get very uneasy, you know, just because I, I, I think, unlike a lot of people that I work with that are very scientific-minded and very, um, I mean, I mean, I'm also very skeptical, but... In, in the true sense of the word, like I, I know I don't know what these things are, so I don't know if there's a natural, normal explanation, um, if they're part of, you know, our world, if they're a part of another world, if they're good or they're bad or they're neutral. So I think I have a very a healthy fear of, of things and a caution. So I just always like to be <laughs> with somebody else. You know, I think to give myself, um, just, you know, just give myself confidence and, and that sort of thing. Which is understandable, which leads me to my next question. If you have had any, your most outstanding experience. I have had, over all these years, I have had um, a few experiences. Um, only one experience in which I ever saw anything. Um, and that was... Um, just a few years ago, right after we started our tours, um, we had gone to Hull House on the west side on our tour. And um, I had been there before, like, filming. I had been there um, with a group that I work with when I was in graduate school. We had filmed, um, you know, the, the shutters and the upstairs windows for, like, hours from the median on Halstead Street. Um, you know, and I had been inside just to visit, you know, pretending to be a tourist or whatever, but um, I had never been in the courtyard of Hull House, which has this dreadful reputation now, Oh yeah. and, um, and you know, I didn't know about it at the time that we started our tours. I'd only known about the, the inside of the house and, and the devil baby stories and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I had taken people into this courtyard when we started the tours, and um, it was one evening, and um, I had taken them into the courtyard because I had just, a friend of mine had just told me about this portal that's supposed to be in the courtyard, and which I didn't really, I didn't believe in that sort of thing, and I thought it was kind of silly, and um, I was sort of making fun of it, and, and he had told me don't, don't take people in there because, you know, these, whatever's coming in and out of the portal could attach it you know, they could attach themselves to the people on your tour and go home with them and cause them all sorts of trouble. 
so I was kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheekly telling everyone on the tour about this and taking them through the courtyard. And we got back on the bus and went home and, you know, finished the tour, and, and uh, we went back home. And I went to bed, and about 4 o'clock in the morning, I woke up, and there was this headless man standing on my bed in our apartment. And he was, like, standing on top of me. And it was very, I mean, totally real um, hat and modern looking, had like a like an orange T-shirt on and blue jeans, no head, um, and just standing there. And, you know, I, I was totally awake. My husband was snoring next to me. I could hear the cars going by outside. I heard our um, daughter turn over in our crib across the hall. I heard the clock ticking on the nightstand. And I watched the clock move, and like eight minutes went by with this guy just standing on top of me. And I was just, I mean, of course I thought I was dreaming at first and I was going to wake up and I didn't wake up and I didn't wake up. And finally I was like, oh my God, am I, you know, after all these years, am I seeing something? And I got so scared. I did not know what to do. And I just started like waving my arms around in front of me and I couldn't say a word and, um, like when I started to wave my arms in front of me, this this guy just like stepped back, like to to get out of my way. And after you know a few more minutes, I just I, I started to try and remember what my clairvoyant friend always used to tell people when they say when they'd ask him for advice on how to get rid of ghosts, and he'd say, "Tell them to go away, that they're scaring you, you don't want them there." So I finally got up to kind of the nerve to do that. And he put his arms out to the side and just kind of flew backwards up into the ceiling. And that was it. That was the end of it. Never, never saw anything again. But that was unbelievable. And, and since that time, and that was like four years ago now, so since that time, there have been a number of people that have come on our tours. I have not set foot back in my courtyard again. I was just going to ask you that. Yeah, but I, you know, I was, we take people to Hull House every single night, and I tell them before we get off the bus, you know, I warn them about it and tell them all the, the ways to protect themselves and all that. And some of them go in, some of them don't go in. But sure enough, there's been probably a half dozen people in the last four years that have either called me or written to me to say that they had similar experiences after visiting halls. We had one person come back on our tour from Ireland who had been on our tour and came back six months later because she was convinced she had brought this something home with her from Hull House and brought it back, came to bring it back. So now is kind now of freaky. Are, now, basically, I would imagine um, by being on your tour, that's about the only way an individual could get into the location at night? Well, you know, there's the, the gate, there's a, there's, there's a fence around Hull House, mm-hmm. around, mm-hmm. you know, kind of across the front of it. I mean, there's no fence in the back. You can just yeah, I've it's been just kind of decorative. By, it's never you know, it's never closed. The gates are never closed. They're always open. Um, we noticed, like in the last year, there's a little sign in the window that says, if you're not a student or mm-hmm. a staff member, you're on you know private property or something like right. that. But right. um, we don't you know we don't bother anybody. We just go and, and you know, stand by the stairs, and I tell the story about, you know, tell about Jane Adams, and tell about, um, you know, the story about the, the we talk about really the, the immigration mostly, and why why mm-hmm. she founded Hull House, and the work that she did. Uh, we talk about the devil baby story, and how she used the devil baby story to teach about, um, you know, immigration, and difficulties with 
um, immigration and, and assimilation and, and things like that. Um, you know, and tell, we tell the ghost stories, and, and that's pretty much it. So we don't yeah. bother anything, but we, don't, we never go inside. No, oh, I thought um, maybe you were able to go inside it. No, we've, no, no, never. Um, when I first started um, researching my books, you know, like maybe 13 or 14 years ago, mm -hmm. um, the director at Hull House was very opposed to the Hull House um, ghost stories. She, yeah. And even the devil baby story. She felt the stories really detracted from, um, you know, constant, people concentrating on the work that Jane Adams did. You know, which we yeah. feel is just the opposite. You know, mm -hmm. she was very much aware of the power of these stories over people. And that was one of her concerns, you know, to, to try and, and get people not to be superstitious and, and things like that. So, you know, we really use these stories to teach about the work that she did, you know, and all the good that she did. Um, but anyway, the director there now has actually, I think, been on our tour. That's what I heard and found it oh, amazing wow. and enjoyable. <laughs> so, <Right>. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, but no, but ghost hunters are still not, you know, overtly welcome. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'd like to make a couple announcements. Um, we were planning on Annette doing past life readings on February 4th because next weekend, uh, we have our psychic fair at Champs in Burbank, Illinois, and we weren't going to have a show next Sunday night. Well, February 4th is what, Annette? Super Bowl, and our bears are going all the way. So we've decided that it would probably be just me and Annette on the air and Deanne. I know John wouldn't be turning on. Uh, he'd be, you know, right, John, you'd be watching the Super Bowl, right? Uh yeah. So what we're gonna do Yeah, so what we're gonna do is have our next broadcast on February eleventh. Okay. Sunday. Annette will be doing past life readings. Uh Annette, I think I'm gonna ask you to do mine. It's uh the weekend of my birthday, so what a best way to do a past life on somebody. So um that will be February eleventh and like I said Next weekend, we'll be doing uh, Deanne, myself, Leah, Rhonda, and Patty from Mystic Investigations. We'll be doing readings at Champs in Burbank, Illinois, at 6501 West 79th Street from 1130 till 4 p.m. And as always, with our um, psychic fairs, we do not set a fee. Basically, it's gift offerings by the people who come to it to the reader of choice. So that'll be next Sunday from 11.30 to 4 p.m. And uh, Deanne does tarot cards. Patty will be doing, uh, what is it, pendulum? Yeah, pendulum readings. I do the palm psychometry one-on-one. -on -one. And then if you bring an item, <clears throat> excuse me, of a loved one who's passed away, I'll attempt to do conscious channeling psychometry with that. Uh, so what... What do you have? Anything new coming up in uh, for 2007, Ursula? Well, aside from the as far as the tours, yeah. It's, um, aside from the box, we're just going to keep the tours going. Like I said, we've got um, 
our tours that are coming up in the months to come. And this summer, instead of just doing our regular tour, we're going to be starting a new tour that we're going to be doing in the summer that will be different from the one that we do um, kind of in the off-season. And it's going to be called The Ghosts of Summer, and it's going to be focusing on um, the ghosts of uh, the Great Lakes and and, um, Chicago's lakefront and and kind of also the stories that occurred in the summertime, like the Eastland disaster and things like that, and stories about um, all along the lakefront, especially like Diana, of the dunes and and uh, seaweed Charlie up in Evanston and things like that. So I'm kind of working on that right now. And those will be starting. Um, those will go from June through the end of August, and then we'll be starting our um, our October our Halloween tours again. What's the story behind Navy Pier real fast? Because I've I go there a lot for. Yeah, the, the the grand ballroom at the end. The, right now, the the grand ballroom at the end and the and the entrance building. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two original structures. All the rest was completely rebuilt. Okay. You know, like twenty years ago, or whatever. Um, okay. That grand ballroom, um, which was you know in the hot spots back in the nineteen thirties um, and and uh, early forties, that was converted into an aviation mechanics school during World War Two. And after that, it was used by the University of Illinois as their campus. And um, after that, it really fell into disrepair. And it was during that time people started reporting, um, experiencing things in the Grand Ballroom. And there have been psychics and clairvoyants that have visited there that have identified uh, at least one gentleman who is apparently passed on and is waiting for his wife to join him on the other side, but apparently they used to spend all of their evenings out at the Grand Ballroom mm. um, back before that ballroom was closed down. And now, of course, it's completely refurbished. It's one of the most in-demand um, ballrooms again in the city. So it's yeah. you know, kind of what goes around comes around, I guess. <laughs> yeah. John, John, do you have any questions? No, not at all. Uh, okay. It's a really enjoyable show, but no, no questions right now. Okay. Anything going on at your place? Why? Uh, oh, after the shows. Any paranormal stuff? Yeah, I, I, I've had five orbs, and my computer logged out on its own at nine forty-nine. Wow! 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 Dan, anything going on at your place? Um, not right now, but last night I did, and oh. my uh, TV was going on and off by itself. Annette, checking in with you. Tonight it's very quiet. Even my mm-hmm. loony cat is just calm and sitting on my lap. <laughs> and your snake is asleep, right? Uh, he is sleeping, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> last week you said he was came out of what? a stupor. Basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ursula, you've been wonderful. Uh, oh, thanks but, so much for having me. It's been great talking to you guys. Anything you want to add? Oh, just again, thanks so much for having me. I, you know, come. Everybody should come visit our website, ChicagoHauntings.com. It's just, it's got information about our tours and the books and stuff, but it's also got um, photos from our tours and uh, from people that write in. And we've also got a whole page about ghost hunting Chicago that has all kinds of news and videos and and investigation reports and everything from people all over the place uh, about what they're doing and what's going on. So there's a lot of news around Chicago and around the world that's on the website, too, and also lots of links to other uh, great stuff that's going on. So just visit our website. There's a lot of cool stuff on it. And um, if anyone has any other questions about anything, they can any one of the email addresses on the website that they click on, it'll come right Mm -hmm. to me. So any questions anyone has, they can write me. Anytime. Okay. And Say website, hi. Ursula is what? 
What's, I'm sorry, what's that? Say, say the website again. Oh, it's um, chicagohauntings.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, say hi to my buddy, Chris Thiem. Oh, I will. I will. Yeah, yeah. He's a fantastic. And now you wonderful. met him. And now you oh, met Chris. Him. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is he working with, with Ursula? Yeah, he he was doing tours with us since we started, and now he's um, he's moved up to Lindenhurst, I believe. Um, so he's trying to, they bought a house, and he's trying to settle down a little bit. So he's um, he does tours for us still once in a while when we're in a pint. Um, but he's trying to have kind of a family life now. But um, he's he's great. He's really oh, absolutely. We really had a yeah. We really enjoyed Chris. <laughs> and P.S. Ursula, this has been a fabulous interview. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Yes, thank Listeners, you. Listeners, thank you for coming in. Sure, take care. I'll be talking to you, Ed. Annette, Deanne, thank you. John, thank you for Pleasure. being here. And Ursula, like I said, it was very enjoyable. Thank you so and, much. And with that. I want to say good night to everybody. Happy hauntings. See you on February 11th. Annette will be doing past life readings. And until then, happy hauntings. Thank you all very much. Thank you, co-host Ursula, again. Thank you very much for your time. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.